Amen. Thank you for that. All right, Brother James is going to preach tonight. Uh, let's give him a good hearing. And uh, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, good, good to see everybody this evening. And uh, I've chosen for my text a passage found in 2 Kings chapter 9. If you'd be turning there. I had a terrible thing happen to me. I lost something. I couldn't find it. It was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And it wasn't the cell phone, by the way. I know that's what you'd have done. It was my sermon. <laughs> my message disappeared. <coughs> that happened to me before. <clears throat> Careless. But you know what I did? I, I have two Bibles here at church for some strange reason. I have a large print and a small print, and I had it in the other Bible. But uh, very interesting that that happened to me. So in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 30, we reading verses 33 to the end of the chapter, verse 37, responsively. Let's all stand together as we read the Word of God uh, responsively. In verse 30, when Jehu was come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she painted her face and tired her head and looked out at a window. And as Jehu entered in at the gate, she said, Has Zimri peace? who slew his master, and he lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? And there looked out to him two or three eunuchs, and he said, Throw her down. So they threw her down, and some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and the horses, and he trod her underfoot. And when he was come in, he did eat and drink and said, Go ye, go see now this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. And they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. Wherefore they came again and told him. And he said, This is the word of the Lord which he spake by the servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, In the portion of Jezreel shall dogs eat the flesh of Jezebel. And the carcass of Jezebel shall be as dung upon the face of the field in the portion of Jezreel, so that they shall not say, This is Jezebel. This horrible end to this woman named Jezebel, who uh, we wouldn't call her famous. She'd be infamous. She'd be notorious. But when she heard that Jehu was coming into town, she knew what was coming. And what did she do when she knew? So she got up and she painted her face. And she tired her head. She meant she got her hair due. And basically what she's doing is she's preparing her death face. That's what she's doing. She's going to die looking her best. And so when we look at this, you know, I'm calling this message all dressed up and no place to go. But we know where she went. The Bible's very clear on this. You know, it kind of reminds me of an atheist at a funeral. You know what you call an atheist at a funeral? All dressed up and no place to go. 
But the truth of the matter is, they know they have a place. There's a place for everyone. And y'all, when you prepare for death, you're putting on your death face. We'll talk about that uh, as we have the message tonight. Heavenly Father, I pray that thou help us to just understand uh, in, in soberness your word as we consider Jezebel and her life and the end of her life and consider our own. We ask that thou fill us with the Holy Spirit and the hearing of thy word and the hearing of preaching tonight and help us to love thy word and the brethren in preaching. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. You may be seated. So, when you consider Jezebel's life, she does stand alone, but you really must include her husband, Ahab, who was king of Israel. He's the one that allowed her and funded her to do all the things that she did. And so he was the king of Israel. He had his choice of any woman in the country. Any woman in Israel. He chose to go to the Zidon to a king called Ethbel and work a deal to have his daughter for his bride. So he went outside the borders of Israel to find his wife, and her name was Jezebel, and she was a worshiper of Baal, not a worshiper of God. She was not only a worshiper of Baal, she was a very strong, adamant worshiper of the false god Baal. And when she came into the kingdom, he brought her home. And we'll talk about this. He brought, her, he brought her to the palace in Samaria or in Jezreel. And so what happened is when he brought her home, she wasted no time in changing the culture of Israel. She did everything she could to turn Israel into a bell-worshiping nation. To turn from the God of heaven and worship the God of this world, which is Satan himself, uh, disguised as this false god, Baal. Now, Ahab and Jezebel, sometimes I may, I may slip and call her Jezzy, but Jezebel, you know what they did? They sold out themselves to sin and free right. labor. It says so. In 1 Kings 20 verse, uh, 21 verse 20, Elijah the Tishbite, the great old prophet, he said, you have sold your soul to work evil in the sight of the Lord. You decided to do it. You willingly chose to do it. You know, and I think about this all the time. When you look at their life, and you look at a lot of lives in the Bible, where did the American way come from? Where did the American way of life come from? It came from these type of people who claimed to have, and had biblical uh, heritage, by the way, had a history. Ahab had a history. He was an Israelite. But you know what he did? He built his family on a false, a false foundation. He built his family on a false religion. He built his family on a false way to live. And he built his family on money. What we have here is a classic American family. I call it that. Became a classic American tragedy. A horrible, horrible tragedy. Now look over, if you would, at 1 Kings chapter 22 with me. This would be the last chapter in the book of Kings, and it's kind of given a summation of Ahab's life, or the end of his life, and look what it says in 1 Kings 22, 39. It says, Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did, and the ivory house which he made, all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles 
of the kings of Israel. This is so, one of the high marks or hallmarks of his life is he built a house out of ivory. So how can that be? I studied it. He literally built a house that was composed of exotic lumber and true ivory. Now we know where ivory comes from. The tusks of elephants from Africa. It actually means these long pointed teeth that come out of the elephant. How many had to die so this man could have this ivory palace on the hill in Samaria overlooking town as they chose to live in a way against God. You know, it's a, it, you think about it, it'd be a picturesque type of house. It'd be a house to be envied by everybody in the nation. Everybody in town would see it. Very iconic. You seen that one? That's one of those you just never forget. This was the emphasis of Ahab and Jezebel. We're just talking about them tonight a little bit. You know, uh, but, you know, we think about this. Along with this type of aspiration comes the classic American way to live. And this is what happens. You know what he had on, to go along with that? He had a wife that told him what to do. He had a wife that ran the family and ran the household and stepped out of bounds and went ahead of him and did whatever she wanted to do and he could not stop. He had a wife that kept him from God. She didn't lead him to God. She did what she could to keep him from following the God of Israel, even under the tutelage and the preaching of uh, Elijah the Tishbite. She pulled on him. Now listen here. And you know, women, wives need to think about this. She pulled on him to have a materialistic, worldly life versus a content, yet a spiritual life for God. She want, he had a palace of dreams. It's very well spoken of here. But here's the thing. He also became very stubborn toward the workings of God. You remember, we think we have a drought. And we have a bad one, by the way. Did you know in Ahab's time it did not rain for three and a half years? Not a drop of rain for three and a half years. And Elijah said, at, the, at my mouth, it will never rain again until I say so. Because he said, I stand before the Lord. So he said, I'm cutting off Israel for three and a half years. Ahab didn't repent. Ahab was very stubborn. Actually, he set out to find Elijah and to take his life because he blamed Elijah for what was taking place. You talk about, what if it, we can't even fathom that, can you? Three and a half years without any rain whatsoever. And then we find, if you're going to live this type of way, what are you going to find? You're going to find that your children are going to follow you and they're going to become twofold, the child of hell that you are. And this is found in 1 Kings 22, Verse 52 and 53. His son, Ahaziah, followed him exactly and did exactly what dad did. Now, this is the thing. Ahab's ivory palace came crashing down on him and his whole family. And though he built all these things, things to be envied by all, he lost it all. Tragically, when he went into battle, and got shot by a stray arrow. He got killed by an arrow. Went right into his, underneath his arm pit right here. And went in and took his life. And this was the curse of Elijah. Because Elijah said how he would die. Elijah said since you will not repent Ahab. 
And you've done this, you just willingly chose to live this way. This is your end. You're going to die, and the dogs are going to lick your blood by the wall of Jezreel. And did you know that's exactly what happened? He bled into the chariot that day. They took him home. They took the body, and they took him in to prepare for burial. Somebody cleaned the chariot. And when they cleaned the chariot with water, the dogs were waiting, and the dogs licked the blood of Ahab. It's a horrible, horrible ending for someone who, who could have had so much uh, blessing of God. Rather, he fell, up, uh, he fell under the very curse of God. Here's the other thing. He told Ahab, if you don't repent, Ahab, which he, he had many opportunities, all your children are going to die. All your grandchildren are going to die. And your beloved wife, who you've allowed to run amok, she will die, and the dogs will eat her flesh by the wall of Jezreel. We just read the story, how it happened. Now, and we'll talk about that just a little more in a minute. This family was the key family of the nation, and yet it crumbled and it disintegrated. There was no, there was no name of Ahab left. His descendants were gone. Happens in America all the time. The, the great families, they fall apart, they disintegrate, they crumble, they're gone. And it, all we know is what it used to be, yet it is no more. Because they, had, they lived under the curse of Ahab. You know, how many families have suffered this same fate because they chose to live outside the realm of the Bible? Right. And they knew that they chose a certain way. And now they're no more. So let's get back to Jezebel. Now, you know her name means dwelling is chaste. If you if you think anything about Jezebel, you think her as a chaste woman? She's anything but. She's a witch. She was a sorceress. According to Revelation 3, she was a fornicator. Now think about this. She had an opportunity to live up to her name as a chaste woman, which would have made people probably might have actually named their daughters Jezebel. Some, you think about that. Nobody's going to... I had a dog I named Jezebel one time. I did. Love that dog. She's no more. Could have had it, though. Could have had a whole different life, yet she chose to go another way. And here's what's happened. So, God chose to, He already said, you're going to lose your kingdom, Ahab. Your son's going to lose his kingdom. And his grandson, your grandson's going to take over, named Jehoram, he's going to lose his kingdom. And he's going to die horrible death, as his father did, shot by an arrow. And he died, and he sunk down and died in a chariot. So this is a family tradition. And this happened this day that Jezebel died. Jehu, the captain of Israel, conspired against his master, the king. And God basically God said, you're going to be the next king, Jehu. Well, Jehu sets out to destroy the house of Ahab out of Israel. And God told him to do it, by the way. So he, he was doing his job, and he knew, I've, I've, I'm going to get Jezebel. I'm going in to take her down. Finally, she will go down. Now, here's the thing. She knows her time has come. Her time has come. Her life of glamour is over. Her time of power 
is waning. Her time of cushioning people around is closing. Do you know at one time she had Elijah on the run? That's how powerful she was. She had the prophets of God, the prophets of Jehovah, hiding out in caves for their very life. They wouldn't show themselves in public. They were hiding. This is how powerful she was. But this day, she knows it's all over. She once ruled a full kingdom and had Baal worship as the mode. She lived in this great ivory palace. She watched people suffer. She lived in total luxury. She lived a lavish life. She lived a life to where she wanted to not only look good, she wanted to look the best every day of her life. So she hears the, she knows something. There's some commotion out there. She, she hears it. There's a bunch of chariots coming. They're coming to town. That's Jehu. He's on the way. He's almost at the doors. He's coming through the gates. What does she do? What does she do? She attempts to look her best as she goes to her grave. Now it says in 2 Kings chapter 9 that she painted her face. You know, this is interesting. She's going to put on makeup, basically. You know, the Bible talks about this in Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 30. It's called rentist your face. It's actually going to rent your face. It's called face sculpting uh, for women. It, hopefully not for men. It's, for, it's face sculpting to use natural products to change the way you look. It's called face sculpting. And guess what? God even said that his wife could use, would use and could use a little makeup. Now this is funny because I think some women ought to do this every once in a while. <laughs> Just not the men. Yeah. You know, I made a horrible mistake once of walking into one of those women's makeup stores. Was, I was with her. I was with my wife. I, I don't know what you call those things. There's a name. I walked in there and the thing I saw, I turned around and left. It was a male trying to be a woman. And it was a male painted up more than any woman in the store. I'm out of here. Amen. You know, the problem here that we need a revival, and the world's gone nuts, we know that, but we need a revival of manhood, we need a revival of womanhood, to where you know the difference when you see them. How simple is that? God made them male and female. You know what they're doing? They're destroying the very fabric of our society by making a compost of humanity to where it just all mixes and you can't tell the difference of any of it. Well, with Jezebel, you at least knew she was a woman. And you knew she was a woman that tried her very best to look, actually, and, and sad to say in her case, probably very uh, seductive. But you know, I think women ought to look like women. Men ought to look like men. Amen. You know how interesting. You know, it's, you know, most of the time you see a man, he's just the same all the time. He just, you know, it's his mug. We talk about a mug shot. It's just his face. Man, hey, look at that old mug. Yeah, that's my mug. And you know what? I pretty much look the same all the time. Isn't it different with women? You see it different regularly. There's a, there are different looks to them. <laughs> One time a preacher said, it's so, it's so ironic how men 
they wake up in the morning, they look pretty much the same. They look like the same old guy that went to bed. But something really strange happens and the woman deteriorates overnight. I'm just having fun. And she has to revitalize herself. Take that, I don't, it's just funny. But what's wrong with looking your best? That's all I want to know. What is wrong with looking your best or doing your best to look your best? In the old days, it was so. When people showed up in public or in church, they did their best. So, but let's get, I want to say something else about it. She Not only did she fix her makeup, she tired her head. So she worked on her hair do. She had a special do. And it's interesting, it's, it, he used the word tired her head. That's where the word attire comes from. You know why? Because your appearance and your attire starts at the top. Your hair and your clothes go together. It's your appearance. It's your attire. So she's going to do her best to attire herself. Now some people say she's going to look her best so that when Jehu sees her, he'll spare her because she looks so beautiful. But the problem is she's getting old by now. She's, I mean, she's old. And she's trying hard. She's not giving up. But the truth of the matter is, she knew she was going to die that day. She's putting on her death face. You know, in the old days, famous people, they would make a death mask of them when they died. They bring in someone and make, their, and make a, a copy of their face. There's famous people all over the world that had death masks made. One of them is Abraham Lincoln. I've seen it. Many of them did this. So she's doing it while she's still alive. Now go back to 2 Kings chapter 9 and look at verse 32. He says, he lifted up his face to the window. This is, Je this is Jehu. He looks up and he knows Jezebel's up there. And why does he know that? Because she's painted her face and looked out the window. So she's looking down at him from above, from a two-story, three-story uh, window. She's looking down. And he sees her. And what she says in verse 31, she says, now wait a minute, you're conspiring against your master. Did Zimri have, was he blessed for this? This is interesting. This is a little Bible trivia for you. The, small, the shortest kingdom in the history of Israel was a seven-day kingdom, and this man named Zimri had it. He conspired against his king. He was a captain in the Israeli army. He conspired and killed the king, and he set himself up as king, and it lasted seven days. It wasn't going to work. And so she's saying, you think your kingdom's going to work? The difference is Zimri's doing it in his own presumptive self-will, and Jehu's working by the will of God. Amen. But she's going to try. She says, do you think this is going to work out for you, what you have done? Zimri lasted seven days. Well, Jehu lasted four generations. Anyway, now, look what she says here in verse 22. I'm sorry, it's verse 31. Forgive me for that. 31. It says, as Jehu entered at the gate, she said, had Zimri peace? That word peace. I got to thinking about that. Go back to 22, verse 22. When Jehu's approaching the city, they send out a man, and it's Joram. 
And he says, it came to pass when Joram saw Jehu that he said, is it peace? Is it peace? Are you coming in the realm of peace? And Jehu says, what peace? So long as the whoredoms of thy mother Jezebel and her witchcraft are so many. And all throughout the chapter, people would say, is it peace? They had a hang-up on peace. Now, and I think a lot of modern men, wants, we all want peace. The problem is when they say visualize world peace and we want to live in peace, they don't want God's peace. They don't want the peace Jesus is going to bring when the Son of Man and the Prince of Peace comes and gives true peace to the earth. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. What they want is they want peace another way. I want to do and live any way I want and I want you to leave me alone about it. I want freedom to keep sinning. And what Jezebel's saying is, I'm not ready to die yet. I want more freedom to continue my wicked, wicked way. It was her quest for peace. To defile and sear her conscience and to keep living in... He even said her witchcrafts and her sorceries are so many. And what Jehu's saying is, we can't have true peace until she's gone. This is it. Is it peace? And he says, Jezebel, what peace is there as long as you remain on the earth? That's why, look at, let's just read it again because it's so dramatic. In verse 32, he lifted up his face to the window and said, who's on my side? Can you imagine this? He's looking up and he's going, is there anybody up there that's on my side in this? Or am I going to have to storm the castle? Basically. And it says there looked out unto him two or three eunuchs, men, young men, and he said, if you're on my side, throw her out the window. Throw her out the window. And they did it. It says in verse 33, they threw her down and some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall. And on the horses, he treaded her, or trod her underfoot. What a horrible end to her life. And then he just drove over with his chariots and his horses. And then he goes in, sits in the palace, eats and drinks. Got to thinking about it. You know, she is a wicked, cursed woman, but she deserves a, a, a burial. She deserves a, a burial of a, a king's daughter. Go get her. They couldn't find her. You know why they couldn't find her? The dogs had gotten to her first. This is sad. And she was eaten by dogs by the wall of Jezreel, just like the old prophet said it would happen. God's word always comes to pass. She had her death face on. That's why I said she's all dressed up, but she was going nowhere that day. So sad. And then look at verse 35. They went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hand. That's all they found. Her skull, her feet, and the palms of her hand. And I think about that. How strange is that? How strange is that? That that's all that was left of her body? I'll tell you why, though. Because this is all that's really going to be left for anybody. The skull. This is all your thoughts. Right? All of your contemplations. The words that came out of your mouth. The lust of your eyes, the pride that's inside you, it's all up in here. That's remaining. 
That was remaining. And then it says the feet. Her path. That evil path that she took of sin and destruction. It's remaining. You know why? It's going to the judgment. She's got to be judged. She's going to give an account for all of this. And then it says her, the palms of her hands. Why? Every deed she ever did. And you know, that's all that remained of her. And it's such a wasted life. What could have been the chaste woman. It's an end of a witch, a sorceress, the Bible called her a fornicator and a cursed woman. And Jezebel is a cursed name to this day. You call somebody a Jezebel, that's fighting words. It ought to be. Now listen here. The end is coming for all. And some people die suddenly. And some people diminish slowly. But this is the truth of it. At the, at, at the day of death, all that matters is what you did with your life and your body. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body. That's what you're going to get back. You can't get rid of that, see? We can't get rid of that. The things that take place within our body that God gave us to when he loaned it to us. 2 Corinthians 5.10 you will receive those things done about whether it be good or whether it be bad. The face of death. What, and this is it. What goes with you defines who you are. It defines who you are. Now this is her tragic end. Let's turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and look at someone else. You know... We try real hard, and, it, and, and most of the time it's very appropriate to present people in death at their best. We try. And we, you know, you, to talk about the good points of their life, the good things that they did, their achievements, their experiences, talk about their family. Talk about their friends. Talk about that which they did. And we say things like, they lived a long life. Hey, they had a full life. And then the most tragic one for most is they're in a better place. We don't know that. But everybody has a day of death coming and you gotta put on your death face. You know, what will our death face be? It'll be based upon what you gave your life to here on earth. And it's very simple. What you have in heaven and what you'll be known for for all eternity is based on what you gave your life to here on earth. So think about what you've been giving your life to here on earth. That defines who you are and what you'll be on the other side. Jezebel will always be Jezebel. Now, none of us are Jezebel. We understand that. And none of us are the Apostle Paul, whom we're about to look at. But we learn from both of them. And we do our best to learn because the Bible says they're in samples. Let's read 2 Timothy chapter 4. And this is, this is what you want right here. This is pretty amazing. And we've read this so many times. Look what he says in verse 6. He's getting ready to die. He's putting on his death face. 
He says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only. He's adding us in there. But to all them that love His appearing. Beautiful word. Paul said, hey, I fought my way through life for righteousness. I fought hard. I fought good. He said, I fought a good fight. He said, I fought the fight of faith. I fought the fight of faith. I finished my course. And I got to thinking about that. Everybody, so one time somebody said, well, Paul was a golfer. He, golfer. he finished his course. No. You know what it really means? He finished the course that he set his life to when he received Jesus as his Savior. He set his life on a course. You know, he say, a course. I'm setting a course here. He finished it. He went all the way to the end faithfully. And I finished my course since the day I was saved. I fulfilled the will of God for my life. And you know what he said? I'm ready to be offered. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to give an offering to God. And if you look at the difference between how these two people died, one died in the palace, the other died coming out of a prison. One came with a reckoning of judgment, the other going with a home going, going home to glory. And one perished, and the other's going into life. Paul's preparation for death. He didn't try to negotiate his way out like Jezebel did. Mm -mm. He had no need to try to do a last-minute fix-up and look good, as Jezebel tried. He was ready. He was ready to go. And what's amazing about Paul is all he cared about was making sure that other people got prepared and ready to go. That's why he gave us, he wrote these words, so that we would all know and we would say someday, hey, I have fought a good fight too. I finished my course. I kept the faith. I'm ready to be offered. I'm ready. What is he offering to God? I look at it just a life of consistent, persistent faith. He's kept living. He was consistent with it. He didn't want it. He just kept living. Right? And he was persistent in it. He never turned back. All the way to the end, when he finished his course, he was not afraid of death. He's ready to be offered. He knew it was his time. He's writing this to, to Timothy saying, this is my time. I will be offered very, very soon. I'm dressed. I'm ready to go. I'm heaven bound. Did you know they took him to the chopping block and they cut his head off? He, he was killed by the sword. Now, tradition says that Paul, when he was, he was killed, it'd be like on a, a, a platform like this, but taller, and when his head was severed, his head bounced three times going down. And every time it hit, a spring of water bubbled up. And there's the, this place in Rome of the three springs that came from, they claimed, the head of Paul when it hit the ground as his soul went up to glory. Now, we don't know that to be true. God didn't say that in the Bible. 
But there's a place in Rome you can go to right now and look at it, and that's what they think. So you look at his life. How he died versus hers. It, it, he died with dignity. He died ready to go. And he had an offering to give himself. Now I want to talk about this and be done. Uh, you know our life is a culmination of all things that we've done. That's all it is. Your life's not a culmination of what you wish you could do or what you wish you had done or what you wish you will do. It's just the things done in our body. The th your life, right? Our life, it defines us. It's as, you know what you're giving? It's an offering. It's an offering. And I love this. Uh, Paul basically is saying, when, I, when they take my head and I go to the other side, I have something to offer my God for my life. And what he's saying is, the life that I gave all my days, I'm going to take and lay that at the feet of Christ. And it's, it's an offering unto Him. You know, don't you want to give a full offering to God? We're going to all offer ourselves. And we're going to all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may give an account. None of this, I, I, I'm, I've had people tell me this so many times, hey, I may not be much, but at least I'm saved. I haven't done much for God, but I think I got in. I barely got in, so it's by fire. Don't have much to offer, do you? Don't have much to offer God. You surely don't want to be your whole life, be like Jezebel, and end up, it just disappears except for the skull and the feet and the palms of your hands. So all dressed up, no way to go. You know, Paul, ready to go. Are you ready to go? First of all, are you truly saved? Do you, have you received Christ and prepared yourself and set that course? I'm heaven bound. We sang about it this morning. I'm heaven bound. That's my course. I'll do my best all my way following the true God of heaven and His Son, Jesus Christ. And then when I die, I'm going to offer my life before God. All I ask you tonight, don't you want to give the best you possibly can to the God who deserves it? Amen. I'm done. I've been to a few funerals this year. You know, you, you uh, remember life. You remember their life. Some will call it a celebration of life. What they did. What they enjoyed. And what I found, and I'm not belittling it at all. I honestly am not. But what I found is, with the children, it was what they loved. Because they didn't get to live. And it would be the things they loved. But with the adults, what I found is it was their work. I would see them in their, they would bury, they're starting to bury them in their work clothes. In their work clothes. What they did is a profession. I love what Brother Tilly did. Old guy, he was a, he was a, I'm done. Brother Tilly, he was just an old country guy. 
He went to Rutland's church for a while. He was trying to be a soul winner. He was a soul winner. He tried to start a church in Sabinaw. He had one going. One day he died of a heart attack. He was one of the greatest track givers I'd ever seen. Everywhere he went, he's passing out tracks trying to win people to Christ. Yeah. Brother Tilly. When they buried him, he had his soul winning Bible in his hand and his pocket full of tracks. Yeah. Mean something. I saw a man, he was buried in his windbreaker that he wore a lot when he worked on electric lines his whole life. I think that's sad. You know, you know we talk about this all dressed up and nowhere to go. There, it's so sad. But when you, like we, we sing that song, I know whom I believed, and I'm persuaded he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I have a full persuasion. Therefore, if you have that full persuasion, you know I can give God my all. I will finish my course. I will keep the faith. I will fight a good fight. And I'll finish. And then at the end, I get to offer. Look, boy. And we'll all have regret. But I get to offer God a life of obedience. That was made possible by His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the day that we were saved. Our face of death, coming for all. Let's bow our heads for a moment.